There we no, go. France, I'm going to have to cut out for a few minutes and call you back. Up this morning looking for my shoes. Look behind the trunk, found the hesitation blues. Lordy, tell me how long. Lordy, tell me how long. Will I have to wait? Will I have to wait? Can I get you now? Can I get you now? Must I hesitate? Did you guys know that? 
<laughs> nope. A legend in my own I'm, mind. Well, you made me sound so fancy, Francie. I appreciate it. What show was that? <laughs> it, well, it was a, it was a popular show. I've done a lot of work. Oh. You know, I, I was talking oh. to Nicholas, who loves music, and we were oh. we were just introducing ourselves to our common interest in music. And I let him know that I've been a studio singer for about thirty years for Disney and a lot of other companies. And we were talking about um, a show called The Book of Pooh, which was a Winnie the Pooh uh, animated <laughs> show. And my uh, good friend Brian Woodbury was the musical director, composer for that. So he not only let me sing a bunch of songs on that show, but he also let me write a couple. And, uh, you know, when you work for Disney, all of those Disney characters are already taken by the big boys and girls. So I would get to go in and do demos so that the actors would know how to sing a song. But whenever there was a song that didn't have a major character, like a Heffalump song or something, then my voice mm-hmm. sucked. So. That, that's probably that's cool. talking about that business project. Yeah. Wow. No, 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 no. How about uh, uh, Mr. Snuffleupagus? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, well, you know, when I was a kid, I worked with Kermit Love, um, who built a lot of Muppets and was one of Jim Henson's early uh, early co-conspirators. So he created Big Bird and Snuffleupagus and Oscar the Grouch and, and uh, Grover. And when uh, we were refurbishing... Big Bird and Snuffleupagus in Hawaii. I got to operate the front half of Snuffleupagus for press and whatnot. So that was a, that was a thrill. That was a hallmark for me. I, I I would have to say that is really freaking awesome because I mean it was cool. Let's face it. How many people get to do that? Not many, and you know my many. already back then. My feet back then were already like size twelves. So the clogs and you know my feet hung off those clogs, <laughs> but you know it, it was worth it to get those crescent-shaped bruises on my feet that I kept for about a week <laughs> afterwards. It was well worth it. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this much, Joe. Uh, for, you know, for myself, I, I know you from um, you know obviously the famous monsters of Filmland and and also for uh, Red Velvet. So, uh, oh, you, you know, just to know that you also worked with. Uh, with Sesame Street and everything else, and even Disney, you know, hats off to you, man. I mean, that's impressive. Thanks. Well, you know, all <laughs> of is. us here are, are, you know, you guys are probably a little younger than me, maybe a lot younger than me. But as you know, uh, when you try to live a creative life, not all of us are going to get to be, you know, huge successes at the first thing we do. So you just have to do everything. And that's, that's why I've had so many great experiences, because I've had to do everything to stay afloat in this town. <laughs> And, oh, yeah. and and I think that I think that's awesome because I talked to you and we do have a caller area code two one four I will pick up on you in just a second just give us uh, one one second here and I will pick up on you um, one thing that I can say about you I've talked to you over the phone uh, last week after we did our show last Sunday night and you were mm-hmm. like yeah let's do it and I'm like. Yeah, you you just seem like you're just such a happy go lucky guy, you know. I'm going to I'm going to do whatever it takes. You, know, you you seem like that kind of guy. You never know how long you got. So if you like people, you want to be around them every minute you can. And um, you know, every single my dad always taught me that every experience you have in life becomes your talent and becomes, you know, enriches what you end up talking about and doing. So I always find the mm-hmm. story in everything and everyone, and um, you know these are my memories that we're making together every every day. So I love it. Oh my gosh, that that's such a great 
That's such a great saying. These are my memories. I'm making them every day. Yeah, I think people should live by that and stop hating everything so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you could find, you, know, you, you you could find inspiration almost anywhere. It's just, uh, you know, all, all you got to do is just take a deep breath and open your eyes and you know observe. <laughs> yep, and the more the more the scarier, right? And you know, working in the exactly. like I'm privileged to, I meet you know thousands of people a year. And guess what? We don't talk about religion or politics. We talk about Frankenstein's monster and Freddy Krueger, and we all love those things. Perfect. And uh, you know, that, that's, that's how we get through it. See, they bring you more happiness. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I love the new meme that went viral. It's kind of like the older I get, the more I uh, agree with the serial killer for killing those obnoxious teenagers. <laughs> I love that meme. Okay, we we do have a caller. Are you ready, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. They're either going to love or hate you or us. Here we go. Uh-oh. Area code 214, you're live. Feel free to curse. 214? Uh, it's me, I think. I had to call I had to call back, Francis. It's Tom. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> well, Tom, okay, how okay. are you tonight? <laughs> yeah. Do you love us or hate us? <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, my daughter had a little accident, and with her, we're watching our granddaughter, and our daughter had a little accident, uh, uh, and I had to help her out, so I had to leave the set the phone down for a bit. Oh, you know, but she's all right. <laughs> yeah, she's all right. Good. Well, putting it bluntly, if I had to, if I had to be honest, totally honest, uh, she, we were grand, babysitting our granddaughter, and her and her husband went out, and she got a little drunk and threw up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I just, I, just did that, I just did that after dinner, so we're all in the same place. Yeah. Uh, I live in Michigan, so, you know. the best of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's following a family tradition there, so. <laughs> you know. Now, now, Joe, we're, we're talking about everything that you've done in your life. You swam with a seven-foot tiger shark? Not on purpose. I, you know, I'm, I'm from Hawaii, so, that, you know, people, I, I love sharks, and Jaws didn't scare me out of the water because I love, I love the water. And so I often just tell people, ask me if I've ever seen a shark because I live, you know, almost every day of my childhood in the water. And I tell them, you know, in all the years I was in Hawaii, I, I've seen sharks, but, I mean, it was only in the water twice. And once was, was with a, about a six-foot hammerhead and maybe an eight-foot tiger. But, you know, in Hawaii, they're pretty full. There's a lot to eat. So I just tell people that story so that they, it, you know, because I, I, it, it, it bums me out that people are so afraid of them and that, you know, some people won't even go in the water because they're there. And they are there. They're everywhere. You go to the beach, they're there somewhere. But I don't know anybody that's going to one by one, so... You got more chance of getting stung to death by a bee than getting bit by a shark. So, I I, I was gonna say I won't even go in the water if I see a couple of jellyfish. <laughs> yeah. Run right back. Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah. That's why well, the Great well, Lakes are so go good where I live. They're salt free and they're uh, they're shark free. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny, you know, the ocean. I take it for granted, but 
I went with Forey Afterman, who we'll probably talk about during during the show, to uh, I think it was the 40th or 50th anniversary of uh, 20,000 Leagues in Omaha. And I was shocked there were so many people there with their kids. And I thought, what is this? And I realized, well, they're landlocked. So the, the, the ocean is really exotic to them, just like snow is exotic to me. So it's really interesting how people receive all of these tropes and images from Hollywood about all of these, you know, exotic mm-hmm. places and bodies of water and weather. So, Joe, I got a question for you. Um, how did you go about deciding to, to re- resurrect famous sponsors of Filmland? Well, actually, you know, uh, uh, Philip Kim uh, bought the trademark when it, when it came up uh, through bankruptcy court. And he bought it and uh, got published it. And I was a supporter from the time he got it and, uh, you know, was, have been a contributor. And they've made me, uh, you know, uh, sort of a, uh, an editor of the uh, retro issues and uh, contributed to just about every single issue that they've printed in the past 10 years. And, you know, mainly that was my connection to Forey's legacy. Forrest J. Ackerman, for your, for your listeners who don't know Forey, who Forey is, and I'm sure most of them do, but long story very short, Forey Ackerman uh, created a magazine with a publisher named James Warren in 1958 called Famous Monsters of Filmland Magazine. And uh, it came out in the coldest winter on record in New York. It was meant to be a one-off. And even in that snowy climate, it sold out immediately and they had to print it again. And the rest is history. They continued to print and it went on and still continued till very recently. And the magic of Forey's magazine was that he turned the spotlight from the stars in front of the camera to the people behind the camera. So suddenly little boys and girls like Elvira and uh, Rick Baker, Steven Spielberg, Yamal Del Toro, Tim Burton, Hammett realized they could actually make movies. Uh, Rick Baker quit medical school, I think, and he thought, wow, it's, it's not the, the mad doctors that make monsters, it's makeup artists. Well, how many, nine Oscars later? And Steven Spielberg read Famous Monsters and, and wrapped his sisters up in blue toilet paper and shot his first mummy movie. So Forey is one of the fear fathers of fandom, started out in sci-fi when it was just a new, you know, a brand new fangled thing and uh, was sort of the Pied Piper of fandom. And then ended up uh, moving over into horror films and uh, inspiring a whole, you know, probably three or four generations of us to get involved in the industry. So that's my my uh, short story about who Forey Ackerman is. And he was my mentor, and I looked after him until the day he died. So, we, you know, I was his best friend until he left us. Yeah, I think there's a big I, influence I on gonna, a lot of people. With, I was going to mention that with Forrest J. Ackerman, that you actually cared for him. I did, you know. I, I know a lot of people that would have. I was the lucky one that got to and traveled around the world with him, learned a whole lot, and uh, that ties into what we'll talk about, you know, as far as the Days of the Dead, which is the show that I host now, Days of the Dead anthology that Nicholas and I have been working on with that show, and that's sort of my, you know, homage and our version of Famous Monsters because it's inspiring people that never thought to run their fingers over a keyboard to write horror stories. And I'll tell you something. We've got award winners and first-time writers, and they're all really good. You wouldn't know the difference to look at the stories because horror fans are so literate and they have, they're steeped in suspense and, and literature, and they're just really, really good at it. So I'm excited. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, you, you, we are. You know, best. Yeah. I mean, but the best way to think about it is, you know, nine times out of ten, they let their passion uh, flow through the words. And that's where the advantage that's comes right. into play. Mm-hmm. Oh that's yeah. Very very true. And you know, there's no end to the people that are sitting imagining that all they get to do is be an audience member and loving it so much. And the minute you say to them, Hey, you know, why don't you participate? I'll help you. I'll take a look at your work. I'll give you my opinion. You know, I'm not going to ever be you know, judgmental, but I'll, I'll tell you what I like about it and where I think it could work better. And so basically um, the project is uh, five anthologies a year right now. And uh, basically you can, there's only two specs, 2,500 words or less. And it's got to be a horror story that is set in the region of the live shows that we do. So Days of the Dead does a show in Charlotte, North Carolina, in uh, Chicago, in Las Vegas, in Atlanta, and in Indianapolis. So the cool thing is if you get your story in one of these anthologies, you get to come to the show for free. You get to do what for some of these people is their very first signing. They get a free copy of their book printed. They can buy as many copies as they want for very, very little money above the, the cost. And they get a, a writing credit, a publishing credit. And, you know, this is how, you know, since the early days, uh, people have kickstarted each other just in the same way Forey picked up a, you know, a, a impoverished 14-year-old paper boy on the street named Ray Bradbury and paid him paid so that he could go to the science fiction club and meet all of his contemporaries. Um, we're doing that now, I hope, for, for kids who are, you know, now imagining that they can actually participate and not just be passengers. That is That's cool. so awesome that you came up with this concept. I mean, paying it I forward, mean, it's huge plus. <laughs> yeah. Because, and, you know, I mean, with all a of lot you, of you people, they, they, they want to get published and they pay these publishers a bunch of money, hey, publish this, yep. and what... Mm-hmm you are saying is don't pay me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's do exactly. this. And yep. that's kind pay of what up, Nick is all quality. about too. You don't have to pay me to publish your book. I believe in you. And if I believe in you, I'm going to publish it. And you're doing well, the Nick same thing. And that is awesome. Well, you know, all the planets align because we have the brick and mortar show with Bill Philpott, the days of the dead horror conventions, which are fantastic just to attend. And then we have Nicholas who, you know, immediately when I thought of the idea, I called him because I knew if anybody was gonna gonna love it, it would be Nicholas. And sure enough, he did. And we were of you know, we were of the same mind. You know, we're not millionaires, we're not rich, but we're very rich in friends, and we certainly are rich in experiences, and we want to be rich in stories. So people, you know, put their best effort forward. And I think the difference in this is that when you send us a story, we don't just say rubber stamp. You know, that's good. That's not the we, the first step of the process is we critique and we send constructive notes saying this really worked very well. This has great classical elements. You know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit unbalanced. I want to know more about your witch. You know, tell me about her environment. Compress this. We, we give as much constructive criticism as we can. And that's another a brick in the wall of confidence for people because they go from I can't write to here's my submission. Oh, what's going to happen to oh, here's some people that are looking at this with an eye towards me continuing to make it better and better. And so you'll see in my introductions in these books, most of them are going to be geared to the people that didn't get in. Because what I want them to know is 
it doesn't diminish their accomplishment having written a story just because they didn't get printed. And a write, writing a story is like a sculpture. It's not done until you say so. So you can continue to work on it, and it'll be in the next one. You know, just keep going. But you know what? No matter what happens, you have written a story, and that is a huge accomplishment. And, you know, we're, we're not supposed to be the best we're going to be the first time, right? If we are, we can quit. The last thing we do should be the best thing we do. So we just got to keep going, all of us together. Oh, yeah. We're, we're oftentimes the diamond in the rough. Yep. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I will tell you this. When Nick told me the concept that you were doing, he was mm-hmm. head over heels. He was like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, <laughs> and uh, he was head over heels, and he was 100% in working on you with this. And speaking of Nicholas. Has he arrived? Head over heels. Head over heels, yes. He was head over heels. He was ecstatic. If you could imagine, like, Bobby Hill. Ah! (laughs) And Hank would say, don't scream like a little girl. (laughs) Well, it wouldn't have happened without Nicholas, for sure. And that's why I reached out to him first. Um, you know, everybody can be in agreement, but Nicholas is the only person that I know, and he's proven this, my suspicion's right, that could knock these things out of the park in a short amount of time without sacrificing any quality. It's, they, they, the books look great. They, they're where they're supposed to be when he says they are, which it's incredible the amount of time he took, you know, to, to knock these things out without them looking like they were done quickly there really, really glamorous, and that's what we want for the kids and the new writers. And as I was telling you, Nicholas, you know, I think you'll agree with me. We have, in the first edition, we have about six stories, and three of the authors are award winners. Not this, not saying anything to disparage their work, but, I mean, when you read it as a whole, you wouldn't know who's who. Everything is solid, and everything is really viable, and um, that doesn't happen a lot in, you know, other mundane genres. I mean, in the horror genre, we just have a really sophisticated group of fans. You know, you know, guys, um, the, the thing is with this anthology is uh, now um, when uh, Black Betsy, a couple of years, two, three years, maybe two years, I, I forgot, uh, into me doing uh, Black Betsy books, uh, getting it started and stuff. Um, I, I got together with Joe about uh, um, the Forrest J. Ackerman's Anthology of the Living Dead. Uh, right. Which was a great book. I, a, a lot of great uh, contributors like Del Howison. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. you know. Um, um, and um, and then um, you know, over time, I mean, the contracts ran out, and I, I couldn't publish it anymore, and you know, and and all that. And I was trying to wrap my head around something to maybe revive it or to do something different. We had a couple of conversations um, uh, over the years, uh, a little bit about yep. maybe reviving it. Maybe, and I, I remember one conversation I had with Joe about maybe not, let's not make it about zombies because everybody's, mm-hmm. and you know, stuff like that. But I couldn't wrap my head around it. But yeah, one lesson that I've learned in life too, it doesn't always happen, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it happens is that when you, uh, when you set your sights towards something, you can't entirely wrap your head around it. You're not sure exactly what to do. It's just not in focus. And it, it kind of just falls into place anyway. So then one day, Joe, um, Joe uh, communicates with me about this great idea, and it's like, that's the idea. That's it. 
that's the niche. That's the thing. And, uh, you know, and I was just all for it. And like Francie said, I was head over heels. I was going, oh, finally I get back together with Joe about about um, putting a book out. And it's not just one book. It's a, it's a whole no. series and a whole vision. It was an alchemy. I mean, you and I have been lockstep every step of the way. Any, any, any apprehension we had about something we both agreed on, issues of, you know, everything from the, the covers to the content to how we should frame it. I mean, we've been, we've been completely together on it. We haven't had a single disagreement, which is really rare. But, um, you know, we both seem to be but really driven by the, by the philosophy of the project. And I think that that, you know, overrides everything else. And we really, you know, our everything is secondary to the quality and the opportunity for the kids. And I call them kids because I'm old now. But, you know, the people. The right people. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you know, for, for the days of the conventions, uh, mm-hmm. is there any chance uh, of seeing any uh, South Florida dates at all? You know, maybe even in the next couple of years at best or at most? It, it, you know, we could. We, you know, in the convention business, we all try to stay off of each other's toes because we're all friends. You know, all the other promoters mm-hmm. are friends. So the first thing we do is try to find a region that doesn't, you know, interfere with somebody else's because we're going to be sharing guests. We're going to be sharing attendees. And really the only variable is the theme of the show. Like uh, ChillerCon, you know, Kevin Clements' show is magnificent, and it's really kind of horror and rock and roll oriented. And Petey's show mm-hmm. in, in Florida, you know, Spooky Spooky World is, um, you know, it's really geared toward the party. And then um, Days of the Dead is really geared toward families in the daytime and, you know, spicy adult entertainment kind of at night, you know, with pageants and, the, and all of that burlesque and everything. And then we're heading towards more filmmaking, you know, so everybody has their own theme, but, um, you know, as far as problems, try to, you know, experiment in different regions, see where we stick. And, uh, you know, it's sort of a trial and error. And right now these five shows are the, you know, are the, uh, flagships of, of this show, but it doesn't mean that we won't expand to other places right now. I'm, I'm sort of the ambassador, one of the hosts of the show, which is, you know, what I'm all about community building. And that's what I've done in my mm-hmm. former shows that I actually created. So I'm continuing that, and you can see where it, where it grows. You know, I I do bring, you know, my friends in when I can. You know, some of them, you know, Ogre is one of my best friends from Skinny Puppy, and he loves the fans, and he'll come and do the shows with us. And, you know, so we all have our, our people that we, we get to visit. But um, it really became not so much about, me getting to travel around and see people, it really became about the impact I was able to have on the fans. And that became a reward unto itself. I realized I could compartmentalize my life and still work on my narcissistic personal desires to make films and do all that. But in my social and public life, I could be almost like a a social worker in our horror community and bring people together, make lifelong friendships, kind of bring some of the most uh, socially anxious and shy people out of their shells to meet people like mm-hmm. them. Because, you know, if you talk to Guillermo del Toro or if you talk to, you know, Peter Jackson or any of them, they'll all tell you the same story. At one point in their life, they thought they were the only ones. And then a magazine like Famous Monsters or a convention or something like that introduced them to a world of people like them. So that's sort of my job is to welcome people, get them to participate. 
Yeah, you know what, guys? I don't think that anybody that there's anybody on the face of this planet that's more qualified to do that kind of thing than Joe Mo because he's been through a lot. He's he's uh, he's he's hobnob brushed shoulders, uh, uh, immersed himself in all kinds of. I mean, you know, everything. I, I've I've looked at his history and we've talked and I um, I mean. Um, you know he's just he's he's well equipped and qualified to do this. This guy has had an extraordinary life. You no, know? I'm not even <laughs> you're not even no 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 you're not. <laughs> and I learned from no. I learned from Forey. I learned from Forey, and the first thing I learned being with Forey, who never thought that he was you know, even though he was the biggest celebrity in my life because he had such an impact, he never thought he was you know known. And the first thing I learned from Tori is when he went to conventions and after he got shy and uncomfortable from having, you know, a hundred people come up and shake his hand and weep and tell him how much he meant to them, he'd always turn the conversation around. He'd say, oh, well, well, what are you all about? And I learned that that was a magic trick is that, you know, when you're out among people and you have, you know, stories to tell or whatever, it's really important that you you asked about their story and, and listened to them. And, you know, we started this conversation with how much touching other people and experiencing their stories influences what we have to offer in the way of our, you know, our knowledge and stories that we tell. So we you know, that's a, that's a sign of humility. Um, that's a sign of like uh, saying, okay, you've come to see me. You're all going all gaga over me because of what I've done and stuff, but I'm turning it around on you um, mm-hmm. And and uh, and people, especially somebody of his stature, or anybody yep. in the industry that has stature that does that. I mean, it, uh-huh. it turns it around, and they feel special. They walk out of that convention or that that episode, and and they um, uh, they really feel better about themselves. And that's the yeah. thing that mm-hmm. uh, that celebrities or people that are in in some kind of stature where you what people look up to you, or you could turn that around and get them to feel good about themselves. That's something that that's magical that resonates that goes on throughout the years. They'll remember that kind of thing for the rest of their lives and inspire them to do other things themselves. You know, and what, that's what this whole anthology is all about. And, and you never know how far that motivation is going to go. I mean, you know, we, we, we all know this, you know, exactly how the industry runs and how, how many people have followed their dreams and, you know, seen it come into fruition. So. Yep, and shy people, I mean, you know, it was a big revelation to me. The fourth year of my last show that I started about 10 years ago was the creator of it. And um, in year four, a fellow came up to me and he said, Joe Mo, and I said, yeah. It's taken me four years to talk to you. And I said, really, why? That I'm a painfully anxious person. I, I, I'm socially, socially so paralyzed, but I love the genre. And I came to your show the first year, and I just stayed for half an hour and, and ran away. But I felt like this was, this was where I needed to be. The next year, I came with my wife, and she followed me around, and she said, I walked like a different person. And the third year I came and I stayed for the whole show and I made it a point of observing you until I, until I believed that you were legitimate and a sincere person. And that's why I'm talking to you now. And I said, oh, really? Well, you're singing karaoke tonight. No, I said, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Take it one step at a time. <laughs> that, guy, that guy became, became a leader in the show. He ultimately went – the next year he volunteered as a volunteer. The next year after that he became a supervisor. And – 
it changed his life and the, the life of his whole family because he found a voice. And that's what Nicholas and I are always talking about. You are responsible in our genre. You're responsible to find your voice. And once you find it, you're obligated to share it with the rest of us because it needs to be heard. And that is pretty compelling um, evidence that, that that's true. When you see life change just because of a hobby, just because someone feels comfortable being in a room full of hundreds of people that like the same thing you do. It, it is a lubricant to people finding their footing and crying themselves out of their shell and speaking and being spoken to and being elevated in ways that will affect a whole family, children, you know, mm-hmm. everybody down the line. I've seen it happen over and over again. And that is one of the reasons that, you know, I was thinking about this uh, anthology project and immediately thinking about Nicholas and uh, sure enough, we came together, and hopefully the rest will be historical. But we've started, so we're on our way. Yeah, historical and not hysterical. Start. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's uh, we got off to a great start, and oh guys, you got you got a this Nevada necromance, um, Sean Langley illustrations that did <laughs> George's screeches. Um, I've uh-huh. seen his sketches for this, and and. Um, and you know that Joe, uh, uh, basically, it's what we talked about. Uh, I I told him, you know, um, have like a lounge singer guy with a microphone in one hand and rolling the dice in oh. another hand, maybe skull dice, maybe something with snakes going around, right. something you know, like oogie boogie. But um, and uh, uh, he's he uh, he went right on it. And the first thing that he thought of was um, was uh, Bill Murray's SNL lounge singer thing. So he's using the suit. <laughs> oh my god. So yeah, it's gonna be great. Yeah. That's our Each one is gonna get so. better and better. <laughs> yep. So That's yeah. With every, you know, isn't it weird? I mean everything has worked out. I mean everything has worked out. Um the timing of everything, you know, this the amount of submissions we have, the quality of the submissions, you know, for the first one where we didn't get more than we, we needed, you know, and, and everything just works out. The fact that that they got there in time and that they sold out at the first show. It's pretty, it's pretty great. So I'm very happy. I'm very, very inspired myself by it. Yeah, it is. It is very inspiring. It's inspiring to me to, to do a project like this too, because I mean, just, just like you, Joe, um, it's, uh, it's in my heart to reach out to people and um, Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, just like Francie said, I I don't, I don't take money. It's a business. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to make money. I got to pay bills, but I, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't like, um, you know, a funny thing, uh, too, is, um, uh, uh, I had my son over the weekend. I was taking him home just a few hours mm-hmm. ago. And on the way mm-hmm. back, I heard on the radio an advertisement for a book publisher. It's the first time that mm-hmm. I can recall that a book publisher is advertising on the radio, but saying that they're saying yeah, for a fee, you can, uh, We'll copyright yeah. you. We'll publish your book. We've got editors. We've got, and you, you know, the rundown because you know it's all, all mm-hmm. over the internet. People are doing that all the time, and it's like mm-hmm. um, you, uh, you guys are like hungry wolves or sharks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or I mean, um, you have never balanced. Uh, it's it's like a, a, a and and yeah, but just through the publishing process, I mean, everything starts with you. Everything starts with you to a degree of, I, I don't want to call it selfishness because it's not like I am going to be selfish. But I mean, you know, I mean, when I started, it was all about me. It was all about me and my books and getting myself out, getting my books out and everything. 
But um, I've kind of had time as a luxury because I started doing this back in the 80s and I got published in the 80s. So I've been around this way and that way with the industry and, and, and as a fan to going to all the conventions in Hollywood, the Fangoria, oh God. God bless Fangoria. I wish that they would like come back really to bad. doing conventions, but um, you know, and, and stuff and, and hobnobbing, knowing people in the industry and then, and, mm-hmm. and all that and the nine yards, uh, but I got screwed a lot by the big name publishers. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I just, uh, you know, um, I, I kind of figured um, eventually when print on demand came out uh, and mm-hmm. I started figuring out how to do things myself, publish my own works myself once I got my rights back for things. And um, and then I started figuring, you know, um, I can do this for other people. And then I started with a friend of mine, Jake, um, that uh, I worked at Walmart with in the 90s, mm-hmm. and he had uh, poetry and stuff. So I, I figured, okay, I'll, I'll do that for him. I'll put him out. And one thing uh-huh. kind of led to another, led to another, and... And I started seeing the impact, like uh, Joe, the other, like last week, I told you about Matthew Ewald and his book and his reaction right. to it and, and all mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, and it was so important to him. And it, he was in tears and it brought me to tears about how <laughs> I, 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 uh, I found him. That's all he ever wanted was to uh, was to get published and and to have his books out. And and I, I kind of I took things like that and going you know what and it's totally unexpected to me too that um, you know in doing this kind of thing it's it's not it's not just a business it's not just something to make money off of um uh because ultimately it started with that i figured if i surrounded myself with people if i as a publisher it would help my books too and everything but then it kind of like turned into something else where it's more like a like a like a service, like a like something that you're doing, helping out other people and and uh, and making a difference in this life. Yep, even when you're huh? looking yeah, at that. But uh, oh, go ahead. yeah, it's like a, it's just making a difference in this life with the tools that I'll you have, you. with your passion, with you can do the same thing as a plumber. <laughs> you did the same thing yeah. as any profession, but but this is our profession, and we but happen to be in horror. One direction. You know, you're looking at one direction, you know, and we're thinking, you know, I'm thinking we're helping these kids who've never been published, right? And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I realize we've gotten submissions from people that have written 20 screenplays, have literary literary agents, but they've never been published. So publishing, you know. Seeing your your work in print is is not a given, you know. You may have some first-time published authors, but some of them have had a 10-year legacy of of submitting material and working on different shows and things. They just have never gotten one of their stories published or they're working on their novels. So, you know, that the excitement that some of these people have who you think, you know, you you start thinking, well, the kids are going to submit their first story ever and they'll get published. And it's really exciting. I remember the first time I ever was. But you've also got these people that have been professionally writing but have not had the good fortune of being in print. And so it really Mm -hmm. is a special thing for a lot of different kinds of people. I have to make it clear. um, I have to make it clear that uh, we don't just publish 
anything. You don't just submit it to us and it's automatically going to be published, but we're going to nurture you. We're going to, if there's something wrong with your story, we're going to tell you how, why, Mm -hmm. and, and, and help you build a better story. I mean, these are short stories. It's not humongous novels in the first place. So it's easy, you know, and give some good advice and help them along the way so that they can perfect their craft. My memoir. Well, now, uh, me. go ahead. I'm listening. Oh no, I was just gonna say. I know with um, it was with Nick talking about uh, how you know, in one sense, you kind of start out doing it uh, in the selfish sense and kind of build it up from there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things you have to remember too that you need to have, you know, initially, just even in the uh, early stages of the whole process, you know, mm-hmm. which is gonna be what's what's gonna help you in the long run is. You know the confidence in the in the words themselves. You know yeah. the, the fact you're going to commit yourself to say yes, I'm going to write two thousand words for this anthology. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at how yep. many people you have know, probably come up to all of us at one point in time and have said, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I wish I should have written a book. Do you know how to do it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, hey, you like guys, that. if I uh, the uh, the old adage, uh, if I had a nickel for every time, you know, but. Um, yeah. Literally, yeah, I've I've met so many people that say, you know what, I'm gonna write this. I want to write this. I'm gonna, and I I tell them just do it, just do it, just a, a lot do of it. That's what I do too. A lot of these people that have never written before, but you know, once you tell them you got a story in you, I want to hear it, they suddenly take ownership of it. And the next thing they have that they say is, I don't know how to do it. And I say, beginning, middle, and end. Write me a sentence on each one. Send it to me. Out, I'll, I'll kickstart you. We'll kick it back and forth and see where it goes. And you sort of, it's sort of a starter kit. And then the next thing people say to me all the time is, uh, uh, people aren't going to like it. I'm afraid that it's going to be. And, and then I give them my pitch that my mentor, Elise Dewsbury, at the Academy for New Musical Theater, one of my mentors, told me, she said, take criticism wherever you can get it. Why? Because you don't have to use any of it. There's going to be three kinds exactly. of informed criticism. Informed criticism where you say, oh, I didn't think about that. Thank you. There's the other kind of criticism where you go, ugh, yeah, you're right. I didn't get away with that. And then there's the other kind of criticism when you, you're like, were you effing sleeping through it? I mean, you know, you, you know what you're talking about. But the thing <laughs> is, you take it all in, you use what you can, and you throw away what you can't because it is never going to say a story by Joe Moe with 15 really good ideas from Nicholas Grabowski. It's going to say my name on it, and it's going to be the best of whatever I've accumulated and gathered. And you just take it all knowing that it's your story. You can discard. You can use. And, you know, it's not stealing, and it's not offending. It's not stealing to take good ideas, and it's not offending people by not accepting their ideas. All you should care about is the story and making it the best version of itself. And we can all help each other do that because we are all willing to give input if it's welcome. So that's that's my advice. Mm -hmm. The new writers, indeed. Uh, yeah, indeed. And, and it's definitely some of the best uh, best advice out there. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, just just to get input and feedback is always the, one of the mm-hmm. huge uh, benefits, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah especially when it's free. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there, there are people that enjoy. <laughs> wrecking stuff. I mean, there's always going to be those people in the crowd, but most people want to help, you know, whether they're uncle George or a 16 year old, you know, I've had, I've had a, you know, a 16 year old who never wrote a screenplay, read a screenplay before in their life, read it and say, I really liked it, but 
how come this kid who's 20 knows what, you know, he finds this bundle of all these monies. How does he know what, what Thai money is and what, and I'm like, you know what, you're right. So you never know when the insight, where the insight's going to come from, you know? So I just, I just like to listen and nod. And then you, you know, you implement what you want, you know, 0%, 2%, 90%, whatever you want. Yeah. Listening is a good yeah, character I mean, trait. Well, <laughs> yep. It sure is. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about trying to submit, trying to come up with my best piece of work to submit. You know, mm-hmm. for this one, this is you know, 2,500 words is like okay. It's got to really be concise and to tell a lot. So, let me ask you guys this: This would be a really good little clinic, I think, because one of the one of the problems we have with, uh, and I don't want to say it's a problem, it's not, but one of the challenges we have with new writers is a lot of them don't outline. And or or sort of sort of get their their armature in shape for what they're writing. So sometimes they'll end mm-hmm. up with you know a three act structure that has you know that the first act is two thirds of their twenty five hundred words, and then they're quickly rushing to the finish. What would you all as writers? Uh, what, how, what would you dev- advise new writers about balancing their story and about you know framing their story? Are there any techniques aside from outlining, or you know is outlining the, the hard and fast rule or what do you think about that? I think just from my perspective, I think you write the story. If you're trying to, I mean, it, it, the story will determine the length, I guess. That's how I say it. Mm-hmm. You write it, it'll be, if it's 2,500 2, words, that's fine. If it's 4,000, it's fine. If it's 10,000, it's got, if it's that, that's the story. That's the story, I guess. I don't outline. I just kind of have the idea. Okay, this is what I'm going to mm-hmm. tell. Or, you know, I, I you know, know, um, you know yeah, for, for myself. Uh, yeah, well, Honestly, I don't um, know how to write an outline. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, okay. I don't, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's not yeah, easy. Yeah, when not I was in South Carolina and Nick was like, okay, so send me the outline of Werewolf. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know what an outline is. I just I write. like to. I like the idea of you start out, you're going to write your 2,500-word story, and maybe it turns into a 4,000-word story or a novel, and, and it has its own life. And I think <clears throat> David Lynch is, is that person. He says, you know, you, you say, yell, yell action, you have a plan, but it's going to do what it wants to do. The scene's going to do what it wants to do. It's going to, you know, he's, he's very about that organic process. Um, I find that you know, the hardest part for, for people, new writers that want to write, a 2,500-word story that find themselves with a 3,000-word story is killing their baby. You know, it's really hard for somebody that hasn't been through the editorial process to go in and eliminate anything. So what I've mm-hmm. been doing is I'll, I'll give an example of a paragraph. I'll say, you need to compress this so you can talk more about the witch. And they'll say, I don't know how to do that. I said, okay, here's, please do not use my example, but here's an example. And I'll send them back a paragraph, their paragraph, and then I'll send them back an, a, a brutally edited paragraph that maintains all the content. You know, I haven't, I would never ever meddle with their content, but has lost 50 words. And I'll say, well, how many paragraphs do you have in your story? Here's one where I've managed to excise 50 words. Does that work for you? Can you replicate that? And it's, it's a real helpful process for somebody to see how someone else would, you know, sort of strain, strain the material so that the essence is there. They're not losing anything, but they can dispense with some of the, you know, some of the characters or the, you know, the, the, the words. So that, that's the process I've done so far with people that, 
has had a little bit of problem compressing their stories. Well, yeah, especially for uh, uh, for an anthology like uh, this, or any anthology too, when when uh, when you set limits, uh, because there has to be limits. You don't want it to be like this huge volume, um, but uh, editing is an important process too, and it does like break things down, make things smaller a little. But mm-hmm. that's the same process uh, as in movies, as in editing movies. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and yep. scenes. I mean, the only difference is uh, compared to the movies is uh, we don't need to worry about the uh, Courier New Times 12.5. <laughs> well, I guess the only other difference is there's no, uh, in writing, there's no such thing as deleted scenes. <laughs> That's right. That's true, too. <laughs> Although that would be fun yep. to see as a good chapter filler, just write the word deleted scene. And then move to the next uh, page, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a funny process Maybe. because you know, you know, when they tell you to edit your script, some people have trouble with it. But no matter what script you end up with, you know, there's going to be an editor that also gets their claws at in, in it too. So they may take away the agony from you and leave leave that scene in the cutting room floor. You know, it's a funny business, but um, boy, you have to have a thick skin to contribute to that. And I, and I have, and mm-hmm. I've been beat up and you know, rewarded and beat up by that process. But uh, it sure is fun. I started out in newspapers. I'm a big fan of deleted scenes, though, by the way. I mean, I uh, the movies that I get, I it's, uh, more often than not, I prefer mm-hmm. versions of movies that have mm-hmm. a lot of the, like the special editions. <laughs> Versus, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. the theatrical ones. Uh, they're more meatier. There's, there's, there's Ed Wood who made whole movies out of deleted scenes. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, that reminds me. Uh, somebody else. Oh, yeah, yeah. Trail of the Pink Panther. Great example. Uh, because uh, Blake Edwards, uh, after, after um, uh, uh, um, oh, uh, Inspector Clouseau, Peter Sellers died. Uh, uh, they wanted yep. to continue making Pink Panther movies. And they came out with Trailer of the Pink Panther. That um, uh, all of his scenes that are in it are, were deleted scenes from other movies, and they just they made a script and a movie around it. Wow! You have to admit it's a great homage to him. I mean, you know, the man was a genius yeah. in his lifetime. So. He really was. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> and you weren't going to replace him, so you might as well just resurrect him, right? There's no way you yep. replace that. Oh, exactly. You know, the alchemy of film, I'm glad we're, we're getting into film because, you know, um, in the realm of horror, uh, most kids and most young writers are really aiming towards movies. And it's really nice for, for our project and for, for other people that are inspiring kids and first-time writers to participate to remind everybody that, that film starts with literature. You know, it all starts with, with the word, the written word. And, um, you know, it's, a nice, it's nice to draw the line from writing to film. And then, you know, when you get into the realm of film, it's such a collaborative business. There's so many happy accidents that make classics and so many minor disasters that pull things off the shelf of, of, you know, of history and off the shelf of being a a great film. It's it's really a a crapshoot. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it uh, really is the the process yeah, look, look of making. Fa- I, I'm glad, Joe. I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Uh, uh, to, everything starts with writing, even movies. 
You have to have a script. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Usually. And so everything starts with writing with the craft of writing. You have to know what no, you're no, doing. You have to have love. the vision, put it on paper. And then you have to trust other people to articulate it and carry it out in ways that are, are really hard for artists. And then you've got some artists who we all love, like John Carpenter, who has disdain for writing, even though he is a writer. And, you know, he'll say, he'll say, you know, well, it starts with writing. It's the most important thing. And he'll say, yeah, well, let a writer thread their script up through my projector and see what it looks like. You know, so he, he kind of has <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a, you know, bad boy attitude about it. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm my favorite you know, parts of, of filmmaking have been, you know, the beautifully written parts. I mean, that, oh, that, that's well, when yeah. you know that you're onto something, is when, when the words hit you, you know, when, mm-hmm. when, 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 when it's the perfect scene, when you know, when you see the flow already coming by, that's that mm-hmm. then right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this yep. thing uh, called writer's block. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> But um, at the same time, though, <laughs> there's a difference, out. vast difference between writer's block and uh, and then all of a sudden getting inspired, like maybe waking up from a dream in the morning or getting an idea during the day and going, you know, th- there's a spark. And all of a sudden you get to writing without having to, you know, figure out, OK, I got to write something. What am I going to write about? I advise people all the time, too, about uh, and because they ask they've been asking me for decades since I got into the business. And, and like I said, you know, the old adage again, if I had a nickel for everybody that said. But, um, um, you know, when people uh, come to me and say, you know, I, I, I where do you get your ideas? <laughs> It's like, um, you know, okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the, some people have a problem with uh, with um, conjuring up something they want to write. They got a couple of little like things in their head, but they don't know how to go about it. And I tell them, write what you know. Like I told this yeah. lady mm-hmm. the other day um, on on Facebook uh, that asked me the same question. Uh, you know, okay, um, um, where do you live? Uh, okay, what about the neighbor? Um, uh, uh, your problems with the neighbor, write about that, make the neighbor be a werewolf or something. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and, um, uh, take what you know and fantasize about it and make it something, a work of fiction and, and have a play with it. Like, uh, your average bully in school, um, uh, I, you know, they can go home and instead of uh, crying about it or doing something, you know, doing something physical about it, write about it and have the bully get killed by a, or have the bully be a werewolf or, you know, just sure. just take that. Take that and, and run with about, it and fantasize about, about it. It's about imagination. My acting teacher in college always said, you know, you, can, you don't have to kill somebody to play a killer. I mean, you can, you can creatively experience the same sensation when you smack a mosquito that's on your arm. You know, he, he said, yeah. you use your imagination to, to pull in common experience and to explode it into, into what you need it to be. But I think we should all make yeah. a pact. If anybody asks us where we get our ideas, we should make a pact to say, you know, just to take on a really strange gypsy accent and make them, you want to get the notebook. First of all, bury half a potato in the backyard. And just, we'll, we'll come up with something and just, you know, we'll tell them we get our ideas that way. That would be really fun. Yeah. We sell a lot of potatoes, <laughs> and people would, you know, yeah. be good. Yeah, yeah, I, I have a uh, really good friend. I have a really good friend, comedian. His name is Basil. 
He's the Greek comedian. He is very successful. And mm-hmm. I asked him, I was like, I'm like, how do you come up with these jokes that you do? Nick, you met Basil. You've talked yes. to him. Very uh, lovely yep. guy and very humble. And I asked him, I was like, how do you come up with these great jokes? And he's like, I go into a park and I sit on a bench and I watch people. Yep. And if you think about it, it, that can be comedy and it can be horror. Mm -hmm. Or it could be a little bit of both. It could be in the circumstance. Yeah. Oh, it could be every anything, anything and everything you want it to be. It's magical, really. I mean, imagination is magical. So you know, you could make it any. You could make it a romantic comedy. You could do anything you want with it. It doesn't have to be horror. But you know, in my line of work, that's what is juicy to me. <laughs> you know, yeah. a lot of romantic comedies. God bless them, but they're boring. Unless they have like a vampire or something, you know. I, you know, I mean, just I'm just oh, like. Oh come on, or, Nick! You love, love, yeah. actually love. <laughs> yeah, but it would be better the, if it had it's like Xenomorph. There it goes. He likes <laughs> that movie. Nick Ray Snore. I forget what it is. I told on you. <laughs> yeah. Well, come on. I mean, you know, well, Xenomorph. Yeah, everybody you know, likes that. We don't, I, it's not 100% horror. We like movies and we like books. There's great movies, great books. It doesn't have to be horror. Yeah. Not to yeah. mention it's a good example of a broken heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's really horror. So the roller coaster ride of literature, you know, horror is. And I will tell you, Nick does cry in sad movies. Well, that's a good. That's a good trait. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm cry at weddings, not funerals, just weddings. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why. But, but that's the one that gets me. I'm, I'm, I'm not a crier in general, but weddings, every single time, I have to sit in the back, hide out because I'm going to be a mess. Well, I, you know, I, I get may, that. Maybe it's just because, yeah, I, I, I do too. I mean, um, you know. I think it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, it's it's moments like that. You you all of a sudden get mm-hmm. almost like 18 million memories all condensed to three lines it's of uh, dialogue spoken to other people, you know. And well, Nick I, I cries during the yeah. Mad Monster Party, the movie. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah I, I cried that. during the Mad Monster Party, one of my all-time favorite movies and what inspired me as a, a horror person, too, uh, uh, because – uh, when it aired on television when I was a kid, it, um, when I was not even in kindergarten yet, my earliest memory um, of uh, anything horror <laughs> was the movie Mad Monster Party, uh, Rankin and Bess. And uh, yeah. uh, it introduced you to all the monsters, <laughs> all the universal monsters. And Corey gets a writing credit on that, and he, if you asked him, he's I had nothing to do with it, but he's still got a writing credit. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 What Francie was talking about. Oh, what what Francie was talking about was uh, me crying uh, for it was uh, Mm -hmm. a Francesca thing when she falls in love with uh, with uh, Felix Franken. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like oh, I, I, you know, I yeah. even cried. I, I, I won um, a, um, um, a, in a like a radio show thing. Uh, I, I was like the hundredth caller. I, I forgot what, but back in the day, um, a uh, uh, two tickets to go to see Return of the Jedi a week before it came out at Fox. Wow. And um, oh, and when uh, when when Darth Vader died, um, I cried because he turned good. <laughs> and it's like he turned good. And it's like oh my gosh! Oh, <laughs> he, oh my god! He's like liquefied himself. <laughs> Just for that, yeah, yeah, like the out. wicked warlock, the, the winter warlock. In in uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. I cry every time. You gave me a choo choo, and he melts, oh. and and then he has to learn how to walk. I oh, I cry every time. <laughs> I, I cry at redemption. Redemption makes me cry. I just my favorite flavor is bittersweet. I admit it. So I'm I'm a sucker for, for bittersweet. Uh, you know, it works for me. Well, so that's Joe. That's probably why you cry at weddings because of the love. And you know all that. Well, it's definitely. But whereas a funeral, it's, it's not. It's well, that's true. In weddings, it's definitely good for you, and I'm fucked. So yeah, that's probably it. We are now an after party, so everybody. We're no longer live. Now they got to hear us in the after party. And yeah, they'll hear us in the archives. Loosen up, loosen up the tie, and uh, you know, get the get around the shots going. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, people want to know what we say after this, but I think uh, so far this has been a very enriching show. I mean, people this are going to want to listen to this, so let's exploit. Uh, it'll so are multiple submissions allowed? Are multiple submissions allowed, yep. Joe? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. We, we, you know, we don't really have many. There's, you know, we're, we're hoping that we're going to get some, some first time. You know, we're getting a good mix, but really, with Nicholas and I, it's really about quality. We just want mm-hmm. the best quality possible, and um, you know, that's subjective for sure. But you know, luckily, we're all specialists in the horror genre, and most of these writers really could legitimately consider themselves specialists so we're all speaking the same language and um it's really really rewarding to have people accept you know notes and things of course i'm always putting the big caveat out there you know look look i'm not here to meddle in your work i'm not here to impose myself i'm here to give you pointed you know pointed questions any any input that i hope will help you make it the best version of itself so you know i always you know, the letter I sent out today thanking everybody for submitting for this latest, you know, edition had that in it. You know, I'm not here to make this my story. I'm here to help you make it the best version of your story. And people really get that. And they're very receptive and, and open, you know. So it's, it's been really, really, I haven't had any anybody who resented it, you know. And I've had lots of people that just reject it. They say, nope, not going to do that, not going to do that. And that's up to them, you know. I think that uh, Tom would be a great asset uh, once he uh, once or if once he submits. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. I've like published like what six books of his over the years so yeah. far. Yeah. Wow. Well, unfortunate. 
Which state are you focusing on now with the, we, uh, we, with we the anthology? Closed, we, we've closed Nevada, and the next one is uh, – first one was Georgia Screeches. This one that we just closed was Nevada Necromance, and then the, the Indianapolis version will be Scary Indiana. So the next one is for, mm-hmm. for in Indianapolis. And, you know, Tom, uh, it's as important our new writers to be published as it is to be published alongside established writers. So you do us a great honor and service if you, you know, submit something that goes in for these people to say, you know, among among the writers in this book or, you know, these established well, I feel like the pressure's on, so i got to produce. So, you know, I just kind of like, yeah, I want to well, I, I rise to the challenge of this one. This one's kind of. So I've been thinking, you know, it's going to be great. Uh, since I live in Michigan, in the Metro Detroit area, I'm thinking either Indianapolis or Chicago. So, but mainly Chicago yeah, or both. Yeah. Yeah. Both, whatever. And William, William, you should submit too, uh, William. Please, William. Well, I, I, I yeah, I, I've got a few ideas uh, that I, I've already jotted down over the weekend. So that's why I figure I'd kind of you know, test the waters and see what stage we're uh, to focus on. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know yeah. we're gonna have awesome. other celebs. Celebs. Um, Ogre Ogre is gonna write a a poem or something for one of them. And um, Derek Mears was just so taken with the project, he wanted to do anything he could. He'll either write a blurb or an intro or a story. But you know, it, it's really a, a fun clubhouse. You know, we we just want to make everyone welcome. I do want to encourage more women to to join in because we really need a balance. And um, you know. As four used to say in the old days, you know, I don't know why in fandom female fans are as rare as pterodactyl petites. But, you know, hopefully it's balancing out. We're getting more more women involved and a lot of women directors and stuff. So I have high hopes. That's a good thing, too, because I think they're, they're, you know, that's good to see more and more women get into that. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think, yeah, I it's, think a, it's about time. I'm where... I'm surprised over the years with uh, with movies and everything that there's still not enough women um, directors, and I I see women writers uh, often. I mean, but probably the ratio is more men still. But I mean, yeah. uh, and granted, that, uh, oh, I got a note that uh, this is Women in Horror Month. Um, it is. But yeah. uh, happy Women in yeah. Horror Month. But uh, yeah, my I favorite mean, no, uh, at... uh, back in the day, uh, Mary Lambert's one of my favorite um, oh, yeah. uh, directors, uh, uh, Pet Cemetery and, and so forth and stuff. Well, I, I we got to see more. There's, you know, I will say you know, that friends of mine who are rising up, you know, like Jennifer Lynch, she's mm-hmm. rising up, and Jovanka Rukovic, who used to edit Rumor, she's rising up. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I got to say that more of my contemporaries who, are, who started out five years ago or so, more of those women are coming up. Um, especially, I mean, even compared to my male friends, I mean, I do know a lot of established directors and people, but as far as the up-and-comers, like I remember Jennifer, you know, five years ago when, when Jennifer was just, you know, coming back to her career, and then she, she did Walking Dead, and, and, and she did a phenomenal job. You know, people never forget her episode. I mean, her episode is the episode where Noah gets gets eaten up in the in the revolving door, and you know, and she did such oh, a yeah. good job on that. They called her back, and she's so good that I didn't know she did the second episode. And I was watching it. Is that Jennifer? And I had to rewind it so I could identify that episode by her direction. 
And now she's done everything from American Horror Story to Quantity. She just does. She's a fixer now. She improves everything she does. And Yovanka went from, you know, being the editor of Room Morgue and leaving and starting a brand new career as a filmmaker, to getting the support of Guillermo del Toro to do her first uh, short, and now she's doing features. So the opportunities, you know, are trying to keep up with with women who are entering the field and 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 rising up, but. It can't happen too fast. But I, I mean, you know, that's, I, I think it's one of those cases where you can also say, in a lot of ways, it's about time. It really is. Yeah. You know, because uh, you know, the, the, and um, you know, I mean, I don't want on the contemporary sense. Uh, you know, like for example, as well too. Look at uh, look at the Soska sisters with their uh, remake yeah. of Rabbit. Oh yeah. And you know, I mean. Dude, that, that that was that that's about as as cult of a film as it gets, and uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, surprisingly enough, I was you know, more amazed that not too many people were familiar with the original, you know, up until right. the remake was uh, announced. So, you know, it, it, you know, it's good like to see them girls. taking the helm like that. And... I think they're going to be at one of the shows, aren't they, Nicholas? Are they at, at Chicago or are they at this uh, Vegas show? The Soskas will be at one. Um, of them. I'm terrible. I need to look at our guest list so I'll. Oh no, but we have we do I don't, five shows. Hmm. There's so many. I'm not sure if it's Nevada. I don't think so. Don't all think I can it think of Yeah, all I can think of in Nevada is that the Hellraiser two people are gonna be there and right. Right. Uh, yeah, the Cenobites Richard and, Dreyfus, and uh, Ashley Lawrence. And, yeah. Oh that's that cool. great. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be a good show. I I hope um I hope some of you, all of you will make it. You know. Will be my guest and come on in and have a look around. It's a it's a great show. It's it's uh, put on by some you know people steeped in the genre who have been doing this a long time, and uh, they've just plugged me in and given me a new home to walk the halls and do what I do. So I'm, I'm real excited. The first show in uh, in uh, Atlanta was a lot of fun. Yeah, it looked like it. Uh, uh, gee, I wish I could have been there. I am still wrapping my head around Nevada. It's the closest one to me uh, of mm-hmm. these. Uh, so I'm just still, it's it's all a matter of budget and, you know, a matter of, um, and, and things too. Well, you know, if, they um, if they weren't bringing well, if it's gonna, if it's gonna, mm-hmm. you know, Now, yeah. if it's going to be in Vegas, you, you can have, you can take full advantage of that part, Nick. Uh, they they love entertainers. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> Yeah. Hit, hit up any of the hotels, yeah. drop off your business yeah. card, and uh, you'll, you'll probably get vouchers up the wazoo. So. <laughs> <laughs> I only have time to entertain oh, the- um, just to uh, just to you know, for shits and giggles with myself. But um, this whole publishing thing and everything that uh, uh, my responsibilities uh, uh, require a little more than that. So I, I don't think I would put business cards out. As a singer, <laughs> uh, that would just be for That's karaoke. True. But I mean, uh, you know, um, <laughs> Nicholas, yeah, Nicholas, I'll, I'll still yeah, if I if I do go there, I'll be splashing my persona around like paint on walls. Excellent. Good. You, Good. You, 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 we'll be called the mic. We'll be the mic pogs. We'll just grab the mic and mm. never let it go. We'll crazy glue them to our hands and we'll sing a million songs. But you've been so. That's you know, the way to do it. I do know. I do know you have tons of projects. And you are so tolerant of me pretending like our project is the only one that you have. I'm <laughs> yeah. 
sending you sending you a novel thing. You know, I did this and I put this here. And should we change this word here? What, what do you think about it? And I'm thinking, I push send, and as I push send, I go, oh shit, he's got 15 things to do besides this. You know, this is, I'm just obsessed with this, and he's doing his best to be obsessed with me. But he's got a lot of other stuff to do. So thank you for that. Thanks for always making. Oh, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I think I think that the, the magic in whatever I I don't know, lack of better word, in in what I'm doing I I think uh, I've said in interviews before too that I first and foremost I'm a juggler, <laughs> so you know I have to I have to juggle well, everything, though, you know. so uh, yeah but uh, no I mean, geez um, it's it's what I chose to do it's what I love to do. And it's just a matter mm-hmm. of time for everything. It's a matter. There's only 24 hours in a day. I can't like uh, you know look at my watch and <clears throat> twitch my nose like bewitched and stop time. Mm-hmm. I wish I could. Oh, I wish I could. Mm-hmm. But that's not you know in the cards. Um, but still, well, you know. And I, uh, I, I don't think you have a TARDIS in the back office, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, I'm an old one. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Joe, what do you see for the future of Days of the Dead convention? What's that? What do you see in the future for Days of the Dead convention? More states, more city? You know, um, just out I of curiosity here. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're pretty solid in in five states now. You never know because hotels mm-hmm. suddenly decide that they are done with the monster biz or that they've got you know, richer prospects. You never know with, with a hotel. There's a lot of moving parts. But the future of uh, Days of the Dead looks like it's going to head toward just this monster palooza here in L.A. Um, has lightning in a bottle with um, effects makeup. They're real smart. They have all of these the best effects guys in the world competing, you know, doing one-upmanship and trying to put their best stuff out. And, you know, thousands of us come to go look at it. Well, at Days of the Dead, they're heading sort of towards more um, filmmaking. So aside from all the normal entertainment and fun that they have um, at the show, they're also going to have some clinics on, you know, adaptation. And, you know, we're Nicholas and I are both looking towards growing this project in those ways. For example, um, the anthology for Atlanta, the very first one we put out. Well, they decided they're going to do a second show in Atlanta. So we'll go back there. So that allows cool. Nicholas and I to do something we didn't think we'd get to do to next, till next year because it involves people having to have read the books. But now with this secondary show, we can say, if, you know, if we get it together, and that's up to Nicholas, he knows what these time of these things take. We can say... Oh, we will. Oh, we will. Artists, it's it's artists, easy. <laughs> so we say, artists, artists, read the book and submit illustrations for each of the stories. And when we come to Atlanta in August, we will have an illustrated edition that has an illustration for each of the stories so we can do that now and that way we involve graphic artists next year in 2021 we could partner with uh, you know one of these film festivals one of the stories into a short film and then we can choose five mm-hmm. of those and then we can shoot them so this has an evolution this continues to in- include and involve everybody once we get to the movie making stage if that's where we choose to go then we're involving all of the people actors makeup artists every department that these kids and, and, and fledgling, you know, filmmakers or creative people want to be involved in. So this has a life beyond, you know. Oh, the, yeah. The this sounds outstanding. That sounds like outstanding. Mm-hmm. It's a storytelling so a- evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's inclusive. Once we get to that, that point, then it's not just 
are you a writer? Do you want to be a writer? It's, oh, you're not? Well, do you want to be a makeup artist? Do you want to be a performer? Do you want to be an actor? Do you want to be a boom, a boom operator? Do you want to be a sound man? A light, you know, we, we start to really include the ent- entire community, which is the whole purpose of this is inclusion, participation. So we expand and we expand our, our, our ability to get people up and out and involved, you know? Yeah. And then after that, we well, take well, over the world. Hey, I'm all for that. Yeah. Or writers. In <laughs> the Perfect. Now, um, if you, something else you can always uh, you look into possibly that's, that's actually making a comeback, uh, believe it or not, our, uh, there's a few websites out there where you can actually uh, generate and create your own, uh, choose your own adventure stories. You know, mm-hmm. but, oh, and, cool. but you can also do it with open uh, genres. So, you know, it'd be oh, interesting to see, uh, you know, see a return of that, but with a, uh, you know, with an invite to somebody to try to adapt something from the anthology into one of those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sky's the mm. limit. I mean, who knows where we, I mean, if you think about it, um, at the end of this year, hypothetically, with five editions, we're going to have um, upwards of 75 to 100 stories. What, who's to say mm-hmm. we can't, you know? Maybe we can't justify a best of because it's too fresh, but we certainly could justify a best of that is read by celebrities for the audiobook. So there's a ton, a ton of, of, of applications that we can, you know, ton of filters we can apply to this and, and expand it and, you know, include more people and make it more fun, even profitable, you know, by, by having it. We might even expand it into music eventually, too. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Who knows? Werewolf, the musical. <laughs> <laughs> I love musicals. Who hates musicals? That's right. Musicals? <laughs> oh, I love musicals. Yeah. I love horror it's musicals. Of all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, hands down, I'll admit, uh, Phantom, you know, for me. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite you know, horror movie? You know, for uh, for myself or uh, next? Say that again. Oh, uh, for uh, me or next? Either. Any of you. Let's see. Um, Rocky Horror, which is given, but I don't oh, know that's even so we consider good. horror. Yeah. Um, Psychos in Love, which mm-hmm. is a '70s cult classic. I don't know if you've uh, have, have you either of you seen it at all. I will. I will now. Okay, think of Natural Born Killers as a as a musical. Mm-hmm. Oh, that <laughs> sounds great. Oh, it is. Um, oh, yeah, let's see. And uh, also uh, Jekyll and Hyde from uh, Broadway. That's yeah. That's a nice. That's a nice score. Not. Uh, I I wasn't. You know, I think I had expect my expectations were too high for Phantom of the Opera, so it didn't really do it for me. You know, but mm-hmm. um, it was beautiful. Sure. <clears throat> Oh, you know what, guys? As far as horror musicals, uh, Uh um, uh, you know, you got to not forget Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm a mean green mother from outer space. Oh, exactly. And also, you can't forget... You'll be a dentist. I like Phantom of Paradise a lot. Yeah. Now... Yeah, what are your thoughts about them actually trying to do another uh, remake of it? Oh, with Lady Gaga, I heard. Yeah. 
I'm not big into the remake, so I'll see Francis against it. I'm kind of jaded by the remakes and sequel, all the sequels. Uh, you know, yeah. just, uh, it, I don't know if it shows a lack of creativity or I, ideas or so. I don't know. Just you know, I yeah. I don't I don't know how they can keep a straight face and not add anything to you know. So many of these remakes they do are just you know rehashes. They don't They're take the do elements. They're going to do a Goonies remake. Goonies? I heard what? I hope not. No. Yeah, God. Goonies. Wow. It's already anything. in production. Yeah. They cannot do well, that. I mean, well, ask I mean, yourself, what like was this, better, right? the original Haunting or the remake of the Haunting? You know, it's just kind of the original. What, what what had more suspense? You know, I the just, original was pretty scary. The yeah, the original yeah. was pretty scary. It was all sound and creativity and. But, you didn't but, see um, anything. You know, Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan's doing a good job with his uh, reboots, like The Haunting of Hill House. That is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was a great miniseries on that. He's a real. Yeah, that was great. Not to mention he. You know, with uh, with Flanagan's take on it, uh, I think probably one of the great things about that series that made it stand out was uh, how yep. many of the Easter eggs that he he threw into each scene. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he kicked man. I watched his movie Ender's Game with him and his wife, um, and uh, I just watching him sort of watch it was really interesting because it's a complicated adaptation. I mean, that's not a Gerald's Game is not an easy Stephen King you know novel to to adapt, but he did a really good job. It was kind of seamless. And have you all seen that on Netflix? Oh yeah, no, I haven't not no. yet. Wow, no, it's worth it. Feat. It's quite a feat. I mean, it's a small movie. It's not any bigger than it needs to be. Um, the performances are great, and he handles it. I mean, if you've read the book, he handles a lot of the the fantasy back and forth stuff really seamlessly. I was really impressed by that. And, um, you know, I'm also glad he's working with Henry Thomas a bunch. I'm glad they like mm-hmm. each other because I think Henry's really underrated. He's great. And um, I'm just glad that we've got another guy in Flanagan who loves the genre and is unapologetic about it. You know, he loves it. So yeah. it makes me. I mean, I thought the Haunting of Hill House stuff. miniseries was great. I mean, my wife's not a big horror fan, and she loved it. I mean, uh, we binge-watched it. And it's mm-hmm. just, I, I don't mind them touching on it. Say, instead of a movie, they make a miniseries that touches on the, yeah. the what's the word I'm looking for, the the core of the movie. You know, it was kind mm-hmm. of a different family, a related family that they kind of mm-hmm. just right. So that like that kind of thing, I don't mind. You know, it, did you like the, did you like his Doctor Sleep? Did you like Mike's Doctor Sleep? Did you see it? Uh, not yet. I haven't. We were just talking about watching it the other day. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because the I'm, book the book disappointed me because that you know the the overlook is gone. It's been burned to the ground. So it's really just about adult Danny, but. Um, mm-hmm. Mike, his love of of the the movie, the you know Kubrick's movie, he he threw a bunch of references in and recreated a lot of the scenes, and it's just it's just so much it's so entertaining to to, to see that you know it's like satisfying, it's really satisfying. Um, I, I really want to see Doctor Sleep. Yeah, you, I, I haven't really seen it good. yet, but uh, I've got so many movies to watch that mm-hmm. that come before that. I mean, you know, 
I, I'm lately I've been really into a lot of the Jello, uh, um, kind of seventies, eighties. Uh, uh, I'm collecting all the Lucio Fulci movies and all the, oh, you yeah. know, and even soundtracks and stuff. And I play them all the time. Crancy can't stand it when I play them all the time. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just uh, you know influence my day. That's what my day comprises of. Sometimes you you have to do it, especially if you get the uh, anthology box set. You know, you'd be like, "Great, we finished uh, Zombie. We got to move to Zombie Two because you know you got to follow sequential order." <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. there's like five of those zombies movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, different directors, different visions. <laughs> I never get tired of zombies. I never get tired of zombies. You can, I mean, I get sometimes I get tired of vampires. I never get tired of zombies. I don't know. Why, I I, I, I just... met the kid who was in Walking Dead. Oh, Chan, uh, Chandler. Chandler Riggs. Yeah, I met him. Chandler Riggs. Uh, he was at cool. a convention with us, and uh, local convention, we were going yeah, to a um... Francine friend's life, and I talked mm-hmm. to him before the show, and this is before they opened up the floodgates because all these little girls <laughs> were like. Lined up, and it's like, oh, the kid's in. (laughs) And I got a (laughs) chance to talk to him. I was like, hey, I'm going to do a live broadcast here on Francie and Friends. And he's like, I wish you would have. He was really nice. And he was like, I wish you would have asked me ahead of time because we could have did this interview, but I'm only allowed (laughs) to talk to certain people. I'm like, dude, I get it. Yeah, they're very strict. They're strict. He, he, yeah, you know, he I was like, to, don't apologize, he and he kept show. apologizing, and I'm like, don't apologize, no, and he's a very he, he, kid. he no. waved at me, and he smiled at me no. throughout the day. We, well, he was so, a kid. Yeah, he expected. was a really he, nice guy. He came to our show. Must and my been, niece had fight. such a crush on him, and she was supposed to, she was my co-host, and she's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait uh-huh. to talk to him. And then I had to call her, and I was like, uh, you're not going to talk to him. And she's like, oh, no, damn it. <laughs> he could have snuck in and said hello. He, you know, I asked him. But he, he, he was really nice. He was a really nice guy, and he was like, I'm so sorry. I probably oh, should have. Yeah, I probably should have. That was a, actually Francie. Francie, that was a, a little legendary show for you, too. Francie's gone around to different conventions and broadcasted live from them, uh, especially locally and stuff. Uh, that convention, I remember when she had her niece on as a co-host, uh, uh, Jill Gerard and her talked a lot. And then there's yeah, a, a lot of other people. And said, that was a good I, I, um, uh Days of Terror? No, not Days of Terror. Uh, had Terror involved. No, it was the one before that. Oh, it was the yeah, it was, yeah, not, yeah. No, it was the one before that. Those, yeah, 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 I, yeah. Exactly, I but I, I forgot the name. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so many conventions nice. too. You know, they're they're pretty nice. I know. Be there and the people that that are kind of there because they, you know, said they'd be there. Yeah, it's interesting. And it, it was so cute. You could always tell when that little guy was coming back around because there's all these little girls lined up Screaming. in the hallway, and I'm like, oh, he's coming back. 
<laughs> you know, the and there he was, and he <laughs> he would now, wave at us every time. Is he like, is he like nineteen or twenty now? Uh, I think probably. probably. I think he's a grown up by now. Yeah, when he came, when he did his first show with us, it was I think it was he and his dad came. He was so polite, and I said, I said, hey, you know, um, you're going to grow up with the show, and he was just like, yeah, you know. Right now, I'm just a kid, but I mean, I hope I hope it goes on because I know they're thinking of doing bigger. He sort of had a an overview of what was going to happen to him. It was really interesting to talk to him at that age because he kind of already knew that things were going to change and they were going to happen as he got older. They would give him more to do, and he was kind of looking forward to it even back then. I was really impressed with him. He was he was just so gracious, and it sounds like from your meeting that he's not changed. That he's still. He's still very, very uh, warm and, and sincere, and that, that makes me happy to hear. And, and I mean, and, and that's good. Cause, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, just like we were talking earlier on the show, you know, that's that's what's going to keep everybody motivated and inspired. And those are those are the two big things, you know, for anyone that wants to get into the creative industry. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, the conventions, I hope you guys can come to the conventions. You know, there's these magical moments that happen, especially if you're working them, you know, because there's the partition's a little bit down. But, you know, just memorable moments I've had um, getting to really have, you know, sincere time with people like Rutger Hauer or, you know, one of my favorites was Adam West because everybody would complain about Adam West. They'd say, oh, you know, he's so grumpy. He doesn't want to be here. And I was always sent in because my family's been in show business a long time. So I always have try to find something to relate to somebody. And in the case of Adam, he came in, he was grouchy. I, I knew his agent. And, um, you know, he went in the elevator and I just tried to time it perfectly. As the door was closing, I said, Adam, what would you say if I said Windward Theater Guild? And he went, Whoa! as the door closed. And I thought, I got him. And sure enough, I went into the green room and came down to find me. Came down to find me. He's like, now, what did you mean when you said that? I said, well, I happen to know that, you know, I'm from Hawaii, and I happen to know you started at Windward Theater Guild, your acting career, and that's where I started. He said, you're kidding. And he just got so passionate about Hawaii, telling me how much he loved it. And I said, yeah, my dad was a nice dancer, and he did this. He said, I'm sure I know him. Show me a picture. He said, I know that man. And it was, you know, it was this bonding that was so great. But what comes out of that is not so much, oh, I got to sit with the famous person. But he looked across the table at me, and he said, you know, Joe, it's, a, it's not about the money. I have plenty of it. I'm here, even though I have a chronic bad back, and my children have inherited that from me, I'm here for the fans. They've put me here. They've allowed me to do this incredible life that I've had. I don't need to be here. I'm here for them. And it just was the antithesis of what everybody's impression awesome. of them was. And, yeah. and I mean, and it, it builds yeah. from there. I'm sitting there, and then Burt Ward comes and sits next to us, and I'm, I'm thinking, my God, I'm sitting at a table with Batman and Robin, and then I then I think how somebody presses their head against mine and says, "Do you let uh, do you let people with the pan sit at the table?" And I look up and it's Chubby Checkers, and he's just come to see his <laughs> friend. Wow! So I happen to be there. So wow. I look at the table and I just I mean I'm I'm a kid in a candy shop. My jaw is is on the ground. They're telling stories. They're you know uh, you know and this is the good th- the lovely thing about certain conventions that try to remove the partition between the celebrities and the and the fans, which is what Days of the Dead tries to do. We try to encourage the celebrities to come into karaoke and sing a song with people. And suddenly the kids are like, did you know so-and-so's on Broadway? And, you know, you learn all these things because some of these shows think that these celebrities are living on fumes. 
they're coming to see these people for a show they did 20 years ago. They never stop being creative people. They never stop being performers. They never stop being artists. No. So when you when you treat them that way, they share all of that, and everybody really feels like they had a bonding moment with these people that they usually can't get near, and that's the goal, you know. Joe, you yeah, know what cool. uh, Nick did at my second convention that I ever been a part of? Mm-hmm. He what? got the whole convention hung over. <laughs> we are talking about Chainsaw Sally. We are talking uh, about uh, what? What was uh, Eileen Dietz? Nick uh-huh. and I. Okay, it was me who got everybody hungover. <laughs> and in fact, uh, but that's okay though. We got everybody hungover. Dick and I we got were April there Burrell. Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Yeah, Georgia April Burrell. Uh, what's oh, his name? The first Jason, uh, first Jason guy. First I forgot his Jason. name, too. Dude, Ari? not only Is did Ari? I get yeah. him hungover. Yeah. I love Ari. I got him late. <laughs> yeah. And, and, in fact, Chainsaw Sally, she was like, you're the demon. I was like, what? <laughs> We oh, got we, Nick I and I were bio. the only people that were there. That was during Miss Miseries. <laughs> and Days Miss Miseries does not drink. <laughs> to, to see we got is a everybody. The first, uh, the Karate Kid guy. We got the Jason guy. We got everybody so hungover. And when we were like, good morning, and they were like, don't talk to me. Yeah. I did a, did a video conference with her, and she's like, "You're the devil." I was like, "You're Chainsaw right. Sally, and I'm the devil." That was a lot that's of fun. A, wait, wait. That's a bad oh man, we had so much fun that weekend. And in well, fact, see, we, the we whole convention, a... they put in some money, and they got this cherry. What was that? Moonshine. They all pitched in, and they got us a cherry moonshine, and they all signed the bottle. And I was like, oh, I don't drink this. So they all drank it the last night that we were all together. And that's when I got the last, the first Jason (laughs) late. It's like. Now, 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 Francie, something you can always do for the next convention, if you decide to get them all hangovers. Make sure to have, you know, you and Nick get a nice, great big coffee pot and be like, okay, listen, everyone, we're going to apologize for last night. We have a solution. you got those little pod things now. Perfect. So here's how you do it, okay? Yeah, that's what you just said. Oh, yeah. We we got some coffee here. It's on the house. Coffee. But here's the kid. Oh, yeah, those you little pods just... that you put in. That's the new thing now. I love those yeah, things. And you just yeah, the Keurig. Stick it in and you just <laughs> make yourself a. <clears throat> so, well, you see, but come that's on, what Joe. you give it out with your, the your official Francie and Friends coffee cup. Francie and Friends coffee cup. They told me when yeah, I you know, they... coffee. <laughs> they told Next me when I convention up my coffee, that Francie's at will have like a. I just got older. Yeah, well, we'll have, like, Francine Friends coffee cups, and... 
know, that was yeah, anyway, folks, all the more uh, I think uh, I, I think it's about time that that yeah, we uh, uh, the uh, Blog Talk Radio is thing is on the screen. Uh, okay. Oh, this oh, was an awesome, awesome show. This was it an was awesome, an show. awesome show. show. I had so much That's fun. That's two with awesome ones you. in a row, Francie. Yeah, Definitely. It, it, we're it, we're pl- rolling. Pl- yeah. Huh? Yeah. And I thanks to Joe Mo. Tip of the iceberg. We have so much to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, 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 you're here, yes. where can they yes, find you? Where can they we can find, find you, all Joe? Social media. You can find me at uh, my, my website is gojomo.com, G-O-J-O-E-M-O-E.com, and you can find me on Facebook under Joe Mo. And if you write gojomo to AOL, Yahoo, if you forget, I've got all of those. But my, my main cool. email address is gojomo at gmail.com. And I, while we have time, before we have too many submissions, if you ever want to pre-submit some, you know, something to me, any of our new writers out there listening, um, I'm happy to kick it back and forth with you even ahead of deadline if you want. Uh, you know, I don't know how long we'll be able to do that before we're getting, you know, 50, you know, submissions in addition. But for now, let's let's do it. Nice. Cool. Yes. And, and you go, yeah. Joe Mo. <laughs> you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joe. <laughs> Woohoo. Well, Francis. Famous monster, the film man, Days of the Dead and everything. Yeah, and I Red Velvet. Stay in touch with me anytime you on a whim. If you find you can come to one of them, just let me know. It'd be great to see you. Um, you know, I, I've been around a long time, so it always is, does my heart good when friends pop in. Bob Burden popped in at Atlanta. I wasn't expecting to see him. That was a great reunion. And, um, you know, just old friends. And I'll introduce you to some people you need to know, too, who are my old friends from the convention world. You know, I've been doing shows for a long time. Cool. Awesome. Cool. Hopefully that will be cool. Yeah. So until next time and farewell from Horrorwood, California. <laughs> and Joe, <laughs> we would love to have you back on the show. Anytime. Oh yeah. It's so much fun. It's family for sure. I'm really happy to talk to you guys. And uh, you know, if I can bring anybody, you know, let me know. If any of our, our oh. little fancy pants friends want to come on, so most definitely. I'm to revamp the show. I'm trying to get it back together again. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thanks for letting me be part of it. I guess I'll hop off now. Um, You guys made uh, Sunday night when I have to get up to work at 5 in the morning a much better place to be. So, thank you. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) We'll do it again. You thought that was your last time, but we'll do. Okay, nope. let's close it out with Willie uh, Willie Nelson instead of Francie. Oops, I did it. up this morning looking for my shoes look behind the trunk found the hesitation blues lordy tell me how long lordy tell me how long will i have to wait will i have to wait can i get you now can i get you now must i hesitate
me rock away from here. Lordy, tell me how long. Lordy, tell me how long. Well, I have to wait. Well, I have to wait. Can I get you now? Can I get you now? Must I hesitate? Thank you. 